Luke has been following Jesus for three years. He's a doctor. He's been watching what Jesus does, listening to what he says, and he records what he saw. And in the uh, book of Luke, he writes down what he witnessed for what we call the Last Supper. Now, it was a Passover meal for them, which means it was a very ceremonial meal. There were certain things that you did the same way every time there was a certain order, certain things you said, certain things that you did, that they had been doing from wee little kids all the way up, and they all knew it. They all knew the ceremonies. But this meal was a little bit different because Jesus threw in some stuff that nobody had ever seen before, and it would have caught him by surprise. He started with the bread. There would have been bread on the table as part of the meal. It would have been unleavened, so it would have been hard. It's not fluffy. And so when it says he broke it, it's because it's that kind of bread. And this is what it says in verse 19. Jesus said this, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Broke this bread and passed it around. And the disciples had to be wondering, what do you mean in remembrance of you? You're right here with us. You're you're not that old of a guy. You've got years ahead that we're going to be together. They haven't put this stuff together yet. They haven't figured out what's going to happen. And so this would have seemed odd. And it's not anything to do with what they would have understood as Passover. But he's their rabbi. And so they go ahead and they do it. And what, what they'll do is realize later that Jesus was being very symbolic. They'll look back and realize that he was talking about taking a beating for them by being scourged, being punched in the face, by dragging around a cross on his body. They, they would think about the thorns pushed on his head and the nails driven in his hands and feet. And they would realize that he loved them so much that he was willing to go through that with his body. Jesus then moves on to the cup. There would have been a cup at this Passover meal too. They had four ceremonial um, uses for this cup, although nobody really knows where they came from. It wasn't part of the original Passover. They were just added over time. But by Jesus' time, there were four different things that would have happened with a cup, and they all knew what they were. And Jesus adds another one that was completely unfamiliar to them. Picks up the cup, and he says this. This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. They, they would have drank it at that point. Luke doesn't say that. But the other four uses, they would have been drinking. Everybody would have understood that sort of thing. Mark does tell us that they drank. And again, we find that Jesus is being very symbolic. This would have been a mystery to these guys. What is he talking about, new covenant and blood? And later, looking back, they would realize that's the blood running down your back. That's the blood running down your head. That's the blood running out of those nails in your body. Was the blood gushing out of the side when they stabbed you with a javelin? And they would have realized that Jesus loved them so much that he broke his body and gave his blood for them. It's, it's what we do when we practice communion these days. We look back and we remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and we remember the basis of it is his love for us. And it becomes something that shapes how we live and how we think. But the thing is, Jesus wasn't done teaching. There's a whole bunch of stuff that happens like right on top of each other after he serves communion that are linked together. There's hooks in it. Because of this sacrifice, I want you to catch these things. 
And he keeps teaching. So, uh, for instance, one of the things he tells them is that one of you is going to betray me. And Luke actually records an argument that starts among the disciples about this betrayal. Jesus is trying to prepare them for what's ahead. Prepare them that somebody's about to betray them. And the disciples get into an argument. By the way, it's, I think it's interesting to note that they didn't all get together and go, Judas, of course it's Judas. He's a scumbag. Nobody thought that. In fact, where they got caught was they decided they would create a pecking order. And when they got to the bottom, that's probably who was going to be the one who would betray. And they got stuck at number one. I'm the greatest. No, I'm the greatest. No, I'm pretty awesome. And they couldn't even get off of that. And Jesus interrupts this argument, says, you've got it all wrong. Um, in other sections of scripture, it records that Jesus actually washed their feet. He's about to go to the cross, and he looks at them and says, listen, if you want to be great in my kingdom, you'll be a servant. You'll give your body and your blood for this cause. You'll be a servant. And so he's preparing them for the future. He's getting them ready. He looks at Peter and says, you're going to deny me. I'm, I'm trying to get you ready for the future. What's ahead? And you're going to think it's going to destroy our relationship, but I want you to know on the basis of what I do on this cross that we're going to be able to fix this. And we're going to be okay. So I'm warning you right now, this is coming. And then Jesus has a conversation that I think is extremely odd. In fact, as I was reading it, getting ready for this, the only thing that I could think of is it made me think, this is a lot like a Monty Python movie. It was so weird. It was weird that Jesus would say it. The disciples' response to it was all very odd and weird too. And I was like, what is going on here? And that's where I want to take you. Because it's, it's crammed in. It's all happening right on top of each other. And there's supposed to be linkage back to this communion thing that Jesus just started. And I want to I help you see it. In verse 35 of Luke 22, the same chapter where all of this is unfolding, Jesus says this. When I sent you without purse, bag, or sandals, did you lack anything? He asked them a question, and they respond by saying nothing. We didn't lack a thing. And Jesus is asking them to think back to something that had happened earlier in his ministry. Luke records it in chapter 9. Jesus has been training these guys, training them, getting them ready for when he's not going to be around. But he decides that he doesn't want to just train them. He wants them to practice. So he pairs them up and sends them out. And they're going to heal. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to represent Jesus' teachings that they've been hearing all along. And there's one thing he says, though. Don't take anything with you. Why would he say that? Because at the time, Jesus was a really popular rabbi. Thousands of people would come and hear him teach every time he would go to a region. And so as these guys went, there were all kinds of people who were excited about Jesus, and they took care of these guys. They didn't need their purse. They didn't need their possessions. They didn't even need their sandals. People were going to take care of them because they were excited about Jesus' ministry. And he wanted his disciples to understand at that point, when you're with me, I'll take care of you. But he's trying to prepare them for what's ahead. Because Jesus knows he's about to submit himself to the cross, die, be resurrected, and eventually taken up to be with his father. And he's not going to be with them. 
And so he says this, this is verse 36, but now, now, if you have a purse, take it, and also a bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. What in the world, a sword? Yeah, and did you see how important it was? He said this thing that you would use, your cloak that would protect you from the wind and the rain, keep you warm, it would be better if you sold that and had a sword instead. Now Jesus goes on in the next verse and says, listen, I'm about to fulfill the prophecy of what the Messiah is supposed to do. So he's saying something really important, but the disciples get caught on the same word that we kind of stumble on, sword. And in verse 38, they say this, see, Lord, here are two swords. Like we miss, completely miss that you said you're going to do the prophecy thing. And it reminds me, it reminds me of one of those bad B movies. That's why I thought it was like the Monty Python thing where you watch this character being developed through the whole movie who's quirky and weird. And you get to the end of the movie at the important scene. And the guy goes, I could save the world if I had two rolls of duct tape. And the quirky guy goes, oh, look, I never leave home without him. And you think that's normal because of what you've learned about this person. And the world is saved. It feels like that, like, you should have swords. And they're like, we got two swords right here. What, what are we talking about? Why are the disciples walking around with swords? And why is Jesus even bringing it up? Is he endorsing violence? Is he suggesting that when I'm gone... What you may have to do in the future is go on the offensive to get people to listen to my message. You're going to need a sword for this job. Was he, was he um, joining up with the zealots and finally saying, I guess you're right. The only way to deal with the Romans is to start a rebellion and a revolt. Let's do this. Let's take it to them. Is that what he's after? See, Jesus knows what he's getting them ready for. He's preparing them for the future. Now, luckily, we have some idea in the scriptures what Jesus was saying, and he narrows down our options. He narrows down our options because some stuff happens with swords. Jesus takes his disciples to the Garden of Gethsemane. He's waiting for the betrayal to happen. A mob approaches. Um, they haven't taken possession of Jesus yet, and Peter thinks this is why he made the sword comment. And he gets out his sword. And he goes, and chops off the ear of the servant of the high priest. He thinks it's on. Let's get it going. And Jesus says this in verse 51. No more of this. You had the wrong idea. We're not using violence to further my ministry. You're not going to go on the offense here. Put it away, Peter. And he heals the man's ear. The mob grabs Jesus. And he says this to them in verse 52. Am I leading a rebellion that you have come here with swords and clubs? No. I'm not joining myself with the zealots. I'm not promoting that sort of thing. Whatever you think is going on here with a sword, it's not that I'm trying to foment rebellion. And I'm definitely not trying to convince you to go on the offensive. So what in the world is going on? Why? Why would Jesus bring up the sword? 
because he's trying to prepare them for the future. When he's not with them, he's going to help these guys understand that the landscape is about to change. Easy when I was with you. People were excited about my ministry. But when I go to the cross and die on it, and then I'm raised from the dead and I'm gone, you're going to have to convince people who are going to be extremely skeptical that I came back to life. You're going to have to convince people that I went up to heaven with my father, and they're not going to believe you. And the ministry that you have in front of you is going to be full of risk, full of all kinds of risk. And so there's only one reason that he would have mentioned the sword in the first place. It's the same reason those guys had the swords on them. If you think about it, Jesus mentioned the swords, and they dig around, they're like, we've got two. It meant they were sitting there around that last supper table having Passover with swords tucked under their cloak. Why? Because they did ministry in the Galilee area. And if you would have walked around in that area from city to city, town to town, you had better have something that you could defend yourself with or you were in trouble. If you'll remember, Jesus told a story about the Good Samaritan and um, people had a hard time choking down that story. It was completely unbelievable that a Samaritan would help a Jew. But the part of the story they would have believed is that somebody got beat up and left for dead on the side of the road because it was dangerous out there. And so Jesus was saying, listen, you're going to have to have the ability to defend yourself because the world that you're about to step into is going to be full of risks that you haven't had to face without me. And in light of my sacrifice for you, I want you to understand that those risks are worth it. Those risks are worth it. This idea that the basis of our courage in Jesus is founded in his love for us and his sacrifice for us has been around forever. But we live in a country that it's fairly easy to follow Jesus. It's not that you haven't faced difficulty in your life. Many of us have faced different difficulties in our lives. And we hold on to the fact that God loves us to get through that. But in many cases around the world, 65 countries, millions and millions of people, the risk they have is simply associating with Jesus. That's enough to put them in danger. It's a risk. And Jesus was looking ahead and going, this is going to be the case for you guys. It's going to be the case for anybody who follows me. You're going to have to take on a certain level of risk. And the reason you're going to be able to do it is because I loved you enough to sacrifice myself for you. And that sacrifice, in light of that sacrifice, you're going to say, it's worth it for me. This risk is worth it for me. I think this is so hard for us to understand. So what I want to do this morning is I want to let you in on a story of somebody who lives in a country where this is true of them. And I want you to watch the story of Fatima. I didn't show you that video this morning so that you would somehow compare your life against Fatima's and go, I guess I have nothing to complain about. Well, I wanted you to see that video because the basis for her to act the basis for her to do what she chose to do is the same for you and me. Her courage and her hope 
are found in the very love and sacrifice that God made for her. And she recognized that. And that's what we're doing this morning. It's an element of communion. So as you come, I'm going to ask you to do a couple things. I don't know what risk you're facing right now. Maybe you're not. But you will in the future. A risk that you'll have to take for the name of Jesus at home, at work, with your friends, or at school. You'll have, to, you'll have to make a decision of whether you'll risk this thing for Jesus or not. And the basis of your courage and hope to do so is found in his love and sacrifice for you. And I want you to remember that as you take communion today. And the other thing that I'd love for you to do is as you take communion, you go back to your seat. If you'll pray for those around the world who face this on a daily basis, to be associated with Jesus could cost them everything, but they see the value and they do it. There are brothers and sisters and there ought to be a sense of unity that we feel for them. At Waypoint, our uh, communion is pretty simple. We'll, we'll stand a person or a couple people over here under this screen, a couple people under that screen. We'll put two people at the back of the door. And when we invite you to come forward, we ask that you just find the line that's closest to you or the shortest. I don't care. You'll approach somebody who'll have the bread. And you'll tear a piece off. And they're going to look at you and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you. And you move to the next person, and they're gonna have a cup. We don't drink out of it, we dip it. So you'll take your little bread and you'll dip it in there. And they're gonna say, the blood of Christ shed for you. And you can take and eat that. You make your way back to your seat. You can sit and pray. You can reflect. You can stand and sing. At some point, Chandler will ask you all to stand and join in singing but you can use that time however you need to, to reflect on God's love that gives you courage and hope for the life that you were always meant to live.